Hello, and welcome to Time Crunch, a quick history podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Felicity. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about the turtle ships, the ships that saved Korea. Oh, that sounds cute, like little inflatable rubber ducky turtle-looking boats floating around saving Korea. I mean, they sound cute, but they were, like, scary. Yeah, like, what, inflatable turtles with fangs? I mean, more like giant dragon ships with spikes on an ironclad shell. All right, and how'd they save Korea? Give me a little sneak peek. Give me a little taste test. Well, the turtle ships, or Kobuksun in Korean, were able to defend the Korean peninsula from a Japanese invasion, despite being greatly outnumbered. Thanks to the ingenious tactics of the famous Admiral Yi Sun-shin, the turtle ships struck fear in the hearts of the Japanese navy. Jeez, that's pretty intense. Uh, tell me more about this Admiral Yi guy. Well, first I need to tell you about the Imjin Wars. What are the Imjin Wars? The Imjin Wars were basically um, two sets of Japanese invasions into Korea that were started by the leader of Japan at the time, whose name was Toyotomi Hideyoshi. And he was a really, really ambitious guy, like super ambitious. And he had wanted to invade China for a really long time. And if any of you know about geography, Korea is a kind of in the way. It's sort of like a stepping stone to China, right? Well, that's what he thought, but that's not what the Koreans thought. <laughs> he was sort of like, oh, well, there's this, this little roadblock in the way, but that's okay. We'll just drive right through it, right? Pretty much. He thought it would be easy. <laughs> Basically, the Japanese, or Toyotomi Hideyoshi, his plan was to get to China through Korea. And so mm -hmm. the whole thing ends up falling to bits when the Japanese ended up getting pushed back. And then Hideyoshi actually dies and nobody in Japan wanted to continue. <laughs> the only person who wanted to continue invading Korea was Hideyoshi. And then he died and everyone was like, I'm gone. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm not here anymore. Okay, so these turtle ships had a huge role to play in repelling Japan from invading Korea, right? Yes. So tell me a bit more about them. What, what did they look like to earn this amazing reputation of plushy little turtle ship? So like I said, uh, Admiral Yi adapted the original ships and to create the turtle ship that we think about today. Mm -hmm. And basically what it was, was pla he placed a giant plate that was probably around like five tons oh on the top Lord. of the deck, mm -hmm. creating like a shell, like oh, so, a turtle shell. So it was like a big cover over all of the people on the ship, right? Yeah, exactly. It was like a giant cover. It was kind of like a tarp, but like a thick and heavy. Five ton tarp. That was five tons and had yeah. metal spikes coming out of Made it. Made of steel. Well, the, the, the uh, mat might not have been made of uh, iron. Oh. The mat could have been made out of um, wet straw, but we don't really know because the accounts are kind of conflicting of what it looks like. Hold on. There's, there's a bit of a difference between wet straw and iron. One is metal and the other is not. Well, it's because the accounts were coming from uh, people who were seeing it from afar. So when you see it from afar and you have um, a cover with giant spikes coming out of it that were made out of iron then you don't really know if the bottom is made out of iron or not especially since like flaming arrows wouldn't be effective on the ship because of the wet mat or because of the iron so oh. either of them could have worked equally well it just probably wasn't made out of iron because it's really expensive do, do you think that uh the korean military also was making their swords out of wet straw and just hoping that the enemies wouldn't notice i mean 
if it works, it works. Right? Right? It doesn't matter what it looks like. <laughs> Hopefully, they don't get that close. <laughs> if they got that close, we're, we're kind of screwed. But Yeah, so the ship had this five-ton mat that was placed on the top of the board, and it was covered with iron spears, creating the shell. Mm-hmm. It also had a basically like a dragon head that was mounted onto the front of the ship. And the dragon head could be, they placed like incense or they also put like sulfur smoke into the head. So it it would come out of the mouth. Kind of like an incense burner, but bigger and scarier. Man, I I can just visualize this mysterious ship emerging from the fog and smoke is pouring from its nose and it's covered in spikes and what looks like iron. And you try to shoot like flaming arrows at it and just just won't catch on fire. Like were the spikes just for the absolute psychological warfare aspect of it of like, oh my lord, there's a a sea dragon coming after me. Well, the ship actually one of its biggest roles was was uh, psychological or one of its biggest uses was the psychological aspect to it because mm-hmm. it was terrifying but everything had a use Mm -hmm. so the dragon head that was mostly having to do with the psychological warfare but also you can mount a uh, cannon into the mouth and fire from the cannon um and sometimes they would even put like poisonous smoke that would like uh burn other people so it's kind of like chemical warfare and the spikes on the top were to avoid anyone boarding the ship So one of the biggest uh, tactics that the Japanese used at the time was flaming arrows and boarding a ship. And obviously you can't shoot flaming arrows at a soaking wet board or an iron plate. And you can't board a ship that has death spikes all over it. Yeah, I'd be a little reluctant to to swing aboard a ship like Captain Jack Sparrow if it's absolutely covered in arrows and seeping poisonous smoke. Yeah, scary. (laughs) Um, It also had cannons mounted to the side of them. Okay, yeah, I, I was going to ask, is this just defense? Interestingly enough, the cannons were only part of the use of the ship. They also used the ship to, like, ram into, pe- into other boats. It was like a it was like a battering ram ship. Well, yeah, it weighs five tons. Like, <laughs> I imagine it would do some damage. Chunky ship. That's a chunky boy. Was it, like, really slow, like a turtle as well, because of the extra weight? That's actually a misunderstanding about the ships. A lot of people think that the turtle ships were actually slow, but they really weren't. They're quite agile and, like, quick. So we could talk about its first use. This probably was the scariest time, because it was the first time this sea dragon was coming out to attack the Japanese fleet. It's like the first time the bow and arrow was invented. Right, you you like or go like out. Gun. Yeah, you you go out to fight with your you know sword or stick or whatever it was back then, and then your opponent just shoots you with an arrow with a a little sword from hundreds of feet away, and you're like, what? How how is this possible? Impeccable history telling. I mean that that's a fact. Prove me wrong. <laughs> you can't. So the first use of the uh, turtle ships was actually in the Battle of Sechon. The Japanese were unable to board the Korean ships. And so they're just getting bombarded by cannon fire, couldn't board the... Um, and they they could do nothing, eh? They they had never seen this before. It's like, a, it was like bringing a gun to a sword fight, like you said before. Yeah. And it, after a few hours, every single Japanese warship was destroyed. Wow. Uh, and I guess right there, right then, the entire Japanese deployment to uh, Korea is, is, is done, right? War won. Easy peasy. <laughs> well, no. Uh, oh. No. That would have been too easy. Okay. Way too easy. That would have been too easy. And remember, um, Hideyoshi <laughs> was really set on getting to China. 
So uh, the genius tactician behind this uh, assault was, like I said, Admiral Yi. He was the one who who uh, fixed up the turtle ships, and he was truly a remarkable admiral. In fact, a famous Air admiral, Togo Heihachiro, who fought during the Russian japanese war after a glorious win in one of the battles people compared him to a u.s admiral nelson and compared him to Yi sun shin and he actually said in a quote this isn't word for word but this is basically what he said he yeah, said that word for word it would have been in japanese it would have been in japanese yeah. what he said is you can compare me to to nelson but you can't compare me to Yi sun shin because he's too incredible and too much of a genius this man was respected so much that his tactics are still used today in Navy school in the U.S., Korea, and in Japan, the country that his tactics were used against. That's really crazy that he's, yeah. he's that widely respected. He, he's considered a, a hero in Korea. Do, do, what, what is his signature move? What's, what's his, his double super suplex? I, I don't watch wrestling, but what's, what's his signature move? I would say that his signature move is using the turtle ships, uh -huh. but we can talk about his most uh, impressive victory, his most famous victory. Yeah, that'll do. So his most famous victory was the Battle of Myeongyang. This is insane. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait. Since we're not getting into the Imjin War, it was a pretty long war, and so a lot happened. <laughs> You're going to be surprised by this, but at a certain point, Admiral Yi was actually demoted. And that had to do with the fact that he was a threat to everyone else because he was so good at what he did and he was so, like, set on making the military, like, functional and strong. And so he became kind of like a political rival and so he ended up getting demoted at one point. And other guys took control of the Navy. I don't remember their name because they destroyed the Navy. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a really weird survival strategy. It's like, ah, this guy is fighting for our country too well. He makes me fear for my job. <laughs> well, it was politics. So when he came back, the entire Navy had actually been obliterated. There were 13 ships left. Is that a lot for this time period? No, no, no. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not a lot. They only had 13 ships left. Okay, did Japan have like 26? They were outnumbered 2 to 1? Well, I'll give you an idea. The battle that we're going to talk about, the Battle of Myeongyang, it was mm -hmm. 13 to 133. Wow. Yeah, it seems like the recurring trend in this podcast is me talking about people who are vastly outnumbered. We, we love an underdog story. <laughs> we do. Obviously, you're not going to win in a head-to-head -head battle. 13 ships to 133. Mm -hmm. Definitely not. You can't win in open sea, mm -hmm. even with these sick turtle ships. So he knew that he couldn't take them. So he read a lot of uh, Master Wu's Art of War. Mm -hmm. And one of the passages is basically a strategy. I'll paraphrase. If a thousand are, are attacking 10,000, the best way is to go through a dangerous strait, which is exactly what he did. That's my second favorite Art of War passage, actually. What's your first? It's one girlfriend mad, give food, win war. <laughs> So he was following the strategy of when you're vastly outnumbered, take them somewhere very dangerous. Mm. And General Yi didn't have a very dangerous place to take them. And that place was Myeongyang Strait. Why was the Myeongyang Strait so dangerous? Um, well, the strait was very narrow, meaning that the maneuverability of the large Japanese fleet was very difficult. Mm -hmm. The strait also had very chaotic currents that would switch directions every three hours or so. 
All right, yeah, I I could see why that could be hard for the Japanese fleet to navigate. Uh, but how did Admiral Yi get the Japanese fleet to follow him there? So the goal of the Japanese had been for a while to get through to the Yellow Sea so they could resupply their troops in the north. But before, the Koreans had a huge navy guarding the passage into the Yellow Sea. Oh, and but now the Japanese know that the Korean navy has been decimated and they only have like 13 ships left, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So oh easy pickings. That's basically what they thought. Yeah, just a walk in the park. I'll, I'll walk up to the Japanese fleet and scoop, scoop, scoop. Goodbye. <laughs> That's well, the sound. Well, Yi used this to his advantage, actually. Okay. He, he sent a Korean ship through the strait to kind of grab the attention of the Japanese fleet. And the Japanese thought that this ship was just like a normal scouting ship um, and would actually lead them to their easy target so they could decimate the Korean Navy. So the Japanese, they followed this bait ship into Yi's trap. Spicy. So the Korean Navy was actually hiding and waiting for the Japanese fleet. So they were concealed by the shadows that was cast down by the surrounding hillsides. Mm -hmm. But even better, chance was on their side this day because there were very, very heavy mists that were actually dramatically reducing the visibility in favor of the Korean fleet. So it was prime spooky season for uh, these scary turtle ships, right? Exactly. So um, the strait was very narrow, as I said. Um, narrow enough that the Japanese fleet actually couldn't outflank or envelop the numerically inferior Korean fleet. Mm -hmm. And so the Koreans were able to hold their own against this tactically disadvantaged Japanese a fleet until the tides turn which happens every three hours right yeah exactly mm. so it was then that the koreans had the advantage because when the tides began to move southwards the japanese could no longer mount the offensive and the ships actually began to drift backwards and collide into one another so they're just moving backwards smashing into one another mm. and admiral lee he used this, like, confusion of the Japanese, who obviously didn't expect their ships to start moving backwards against the tides. Mm -hmm. And he used this confusion to attack and press and ram and destroy these Japanese ships. Oh, and, and the turtle ships were built like battering rams, right? So they just rode the currents and smashed right into... The Japanese fleet, like like uh like that scene from Finding Nemo's where the turtles are riding the the waves, <laughs> except much much scarier and more deadly. It, basically, uh -huh. actually, it's perfect. So the dense formation of the Japanese ships crowded in the narrow strait actually made them a perfect target for Korean cannon fire. On top of being wave smashed by <laughs> the turtle ships already see when i asked about admiral yi's signature move you could have said wave smash that would have been an acceptable Sounds like answer. a pokemon <laughs> yeah admiral yi wave smash it's super effective <laughs> by the time that the japanese actually retreated uh the koreans had managed to sink 30 of the original 133 ships in the fleet this is the key part. Mm. Not a single Korean ship was destroyed in this entire encounter, which is good because they only had 13 left. Yeah, they so. couldn't exactly spare a couple, right? No, they could not. 
uh, but not a single one was destroyed, which is pretty remarkable when it was 13 up against 133. Mm-hmm. A baker's dozen against, one might say, a bakery. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this Ad- Admiral Yi guy you mentioned, uh, that he, he became somewhat of a political figure. After the war ended, what did he go on to do? Oh, he died. <laughs> <laughs> How? He died in the last battle. In the last battle of the war? <laughs> the last naval battle of the war, yeah. Wow. He got shot in the armpit, and his uh, son and nephew were actually there, and he literally told them to hide his body and not let anyone know that he died because he didn't want morale to be to di- be diminished. And so everyone just kept fighting, and he was just dead in his chamber, in his, in the boat. Man, so even on his deathbed, he was so dedicated baller yeah an absolute baller uh at defending the interests of his nation eh well if you want a quote because we love quotes i'd love a quote um he actually said or it said that he said this because we don't have any recording devices from 1598 anyways he said on his deathbed the war is at its height wear my armor and beat my war drums. Do not announce my death. And then he just died. So to recap the story of Admiral Yi, he uh, brought back the turtle ships in a big way. He was so good at his job that he got fired. And while he was gone, the Korean Navy was absolutely decimated. And he came back and used this 13 remaining ships to defend Korea. And on his deathbed, did probably the coolest possible thing. And said, you know what, don't tell anybody that I died. Just keep fighting. I don't want morale to be hurt. Did I? Is, does that wrap it up pretty well? It's pretty good. It's a pretty good example. Man. They actually have statues of him in Seoul to commemorate his great victories during the war. Man, I want a statue of him. This guy sounds like such a cool role model. Like Just a giant <sighs> statue of Admiral Yi in your living room? Yeah. Who needs a TV? Who yeah, needs a coffee table? I'd get lost in his cold marble eyes any night. <laughs> <laughs> so... If listeners want to learn a bit more about uh, this story uh, and other things about Korean history, uh, where can they go to find out? Well, I, I definitely encourage people to read more about Admiral Yi. Um, one of the books in particular that I find interesting is The Great East Asian War and the Birth of the Korean Nation by Ja Hyun Kim Habush, which is about how the Japanese-Korean War kind of led to the birth of the Korean nation and the formation of nationhood. Hmm. So I think that uh, just about wraps it up for this episode of Time Crunch History. Thank you all for tuning in uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.